Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We're your hosts. I am Nate Endries, and this week, Eddie is not on. We have Jake back on the podcast. Welcome, Jake. Yeah, thank you for having me once again. Yeah, of course. Jake, you don't sound too happy. Uh, I'm just going to give you the floor here to air out any feelings that you have about being barely edged for the sixth and final playoff spot the second year in a row. Take it away, buddy. Yeah, same result as last year, but you know, this time I know I'm not in the playoffs at the time we were recording this as last year. I did not know that. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of sadness, uh, heartbreak. Honestly, the biggest takeaway is I don't think I've ever hated a fantasy team as much as I have my fantasy football team this year. Uh, this is way different than last year, and it's the same situation. I thought that team last year was very good, very capable, overcame some big injuries to Dak and McCaffrey. But, like, honestly, this whole year, I thought this team this, that I had this year, I thought they sucked. Like, I thought that they were very bad. Every, but every time I started to think, I started to come to terms with that, that I had a bad fantasy football team, they had a big week and had the audacity to give me hope. And really, I hate them for that. Uh, Leonard Fournette was wonderful. Uh, he was really the biggest reason I was in it at all, I think. But, you know, like Mike Williams decided to be bad basically the second I traded for him. Uh, Pat Mahomes, like, what even happened there? Uh, A.J. Brown and Robert Woods definitely, like, screw those two guys. Uh, especially, I, I had a special screw you to every single tight end that I tried to stream after uh, Logan Thomas went down. Uh, and then I guess, like, the last guy that I really, really hate most of all, like, the at the top of my hatred mountain, Mike Davis, who is just a bad football player and probably a bad guy if uh, this year has anything to do with it. But really, the biggest thing that I want to say to this team, the message that I want to look every single player in the eye on this team and tell them, you can't hurt me anymore. No more Monday Night Heartbreak. No more injuries in the first quarter. I'm not going to get mad anymore because Boston Scott is active but doesn't get a single touch. They can't hurt me anymore because I'm out of it now. So I guess if there is a positive to find, this team can't trick me and break my heart anymore this season. Jake, that was better than Broadway's broadcast or production of Hamilton. That was just, that was great. I can back Thanks. everything that you said. No, I mean, not that I'm in your situation, but I can back everything that you said, except Robert Woods, man. He was starting to turn it. I know he, he got hurt for the year, so maybe that's what you hate him for, but he was starting to turn it around before he tore his ACL. I guess maybe for Robert Woods, it was the fact that like, I, I guess maybe not for so much for this league, but uh, in another league, I drafted him ahead of Cooper cup because uh, of all those, uh, all those reports out of training camp that him and Stafford had great chemistry, which I don't know what they were doing. Like maybe Cooper cup called in sick, like every single day that <laughs> we're there, but uh, yeah, I don't know. You must have, or whichever reporter said that was colorblind. I also yeah, drafted Robert really. Woods ahead of Cooper Cup in one league. Thankfully, I drafted Cooper Cup in two other leagues instead of Robert Woods. I, I really liked Cup more than Robert Woods, but I'm a very big like hedge your bets kind of guy. So I figured in one league I should grab Robert Woods. Was very frustrated with him to open the season, and then he started turning it around. He was actually wide receiver 12 before he went down for the year, so he was a by definition, a wide receiver one if you play in a 12-man league. So 
He was on the upswing right before you got hurt, but yeah, that was a it was pretty brutal for your team on top of the mountain of other things that you mentioned. Let's get into the prior week recap, looking back at the final week of our regular season, which was week 14. Jake, I'm going to I'm going to start us off with biggest upset. It's kind of continuing the theme of the introduction to this episode so far. It is Eddie, Lucas, and Kyron, the three teams who are eliminated already going into the final week of the regular season, were three of the six winners against the league median. The unique spin this week is because this very outcome, Jake, is what gave you the stinky boot from the playoffs. Had even one of these eliminated teams not popped off this week, you were the seventh highest scorer, so you would have then claimed the last remaining league median win, and you would have had Mike on total points for by exactly 0.5 points. So an absolute heartbreaker for Jake. But Eddie delivered on his promise to break some hearts, and just so happens that it was Jake's. Side note, the lesson to be learned is that even when your team is locked and we don't allow you for you know allow for you to impact playoff hunt teams by way of transactions like trading, making waiver claims, it's my opinion that you should still try to make the biggest impact you can in your matchups, right? It keeps the league honest, keeps it competitive. Uh, to Jake's misfortune, it boots him from the playoffs. But again, that's what makes our league great top to bottom is you have shakeups like this in the very last week of the season. Jake, anything to add to that, but then also feel free to turn around and give us your biggest upset. Uh, no, I, I saw, I noticed that the, uh, a couple teams played spoiler, uh, I guess to the, detriment of me but my biggest upset was Kyron over Scott uh I was this I guess this has continued uh Kyron going absolutely scorched earth since his team locked uh George Kittle went nuclear again uh Hunter Renfro who my phone keeps autocorrecting to the baseball version of Hunter Renfro uh just continued to absolutely outperform anything that I thought that he would be I can't believe that he's wide receiver 12 right now. That's just nuts. But uh, it's not even like Scott did did poorly. It was just Kyron's team absolutely popped. Yeah, Kyron has been on a heater since being locked, just like you said, Jake, I believe. To finish the season, he went 11-1. and Uh, So an absolute – he's been the best team over the last six weeks in the league, which is really funny to say because he was 1-15 in in the first team to be locked. Um, But hopefully he can kind of take that momentum into next season. Biggest takeaway, and this week we're going to do biggest takeaway from the regular season as a whole. Jake, why don't you kick us off? Uh, So I went back and looked back at our draft, um, mainly the early portion of the draft, just to see how we did drafting – basically drafting our stars. Uh, so what was, what I did was I took the top players um, from each position. I took the top, I got, I took the first 10 drafted at quarterback, running back and wide receiver. I didn't do tight end because I, I thought that was too shallow of a position to really dig in there. But I took the top 10 that were drafted in each position, or the first 10, I should say that were drafted at each of those, each of those positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Uh, and then I looked at how many, are in the top 10 out of those 10 are currently top 10 at their position. Uh, And then I took it one step further. Um, If they weren't in the top 10, if there are, I should say, if they were outside of the top 20 at at their position, I classify them as a, as a bust. Uh, So for quarterback, uh, we did pretty good. Um, We had a pretty good hit rate. It was seven out of the 10 quarter 
quarterbacks that we drafted to be top 10 are top 10. Uh, it was worse for running backs. It was only five out of 10. But I was really surprised for wide receivers. It was We actually only had, out of the first 10 drafted, only four are currently top 10 wide receivers. Interesting. Uh, there was one bust at quarterback. That was Russell Wilson. But I can't even say that that's really is too much of a bust because of that finger injury. I probably would be top 10 or around 10 if he would have been uh, – if he would have been healthy all year. Um, and another one is Kyler Murray was finished outside the top 10. And I'm pretty sure he would be top 10 had he not missed a couple games. Uh, Cause he was like 11 or 12. Um, we have two busts at running backs, uh, McCaffrey and Barkley, but McCaffrey we know was, was playing well. He got hurt. Uh, Barkley got hurt, but he's also been underperforming. Uh, interesting thing to note, uh, Derek Henry is actually still a top 10 running back. Uh, which is incredible. Uh, wide receiver, though, that's where I really wanted to focus my thoughts because that was I was very surprised there because I think that we consider wide receiver. I think we consider running back to be the most volatile and risky position to draft early. But uh, this past draft, this past draft doesn't look like that was the case. The wide receivers, we like I said, we had four. We only have four out of the ten that fin- that are currently top ten, but we have five busts at wide receivers: D- DK Metcalf, DeAndre Hopkins. Calvin Ridley, AJ Brown, and Terry McLaurin all are outside of the uh, all outside of the top twenty at the position. Maybe that's because there's more wide receivers from the later rounds that have elevated themselves. I know that some of those wide receivers aren't necessarily doing too bad, but uh, I, I just think it, I think it is notable that uh, the, the wide receivers that we drafted in the first couple rounds are not performing up to par really at all. And they, we've actually had more busts than hits out of those out of that position. Uh, this is only a one-year analysis. I only did this for this year. I didn't look back at previous years to see if that was the case. So maybe this is just a one-year anomaly. But I do think that is something that is interesting to move to take forward. That uh, maybe drafting wide receivers later is the more optimal strategy because. Uh, wide receivers early can bust, and there's also a better chance that some of those later guys will. Uh, elevate themselves. Do you happen to have who is noted down as the hits at any of the positions? Oh yeah, I do. So for quarterback, okay, wait, wait, wait. I want to take a guess. At least for the wide receiver portion, you can read off the other two, but I want to take a guess for wide receivers since there were so few hits. But go ahead okay. with quarterback and running back. Uh, so quarterbacks, we have Mahomes, Allen, Jackson, Rogers, Herbert, Brady, and Stafford are all in the top ten. Um, the other two that we are the the other three that we drafted, uh, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, and Russell Wilson. Uh, Murray's just outside there. Prescott's not too far behind. And um, Wilson, like I said, has the injury. Uh, for running backs, it was Henry, Eckler, Taylor, Elliott, and Harris were all the hits. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised by Elliott, but I have a feeling he yeah, might surprise me too by the end. I'm, I I think if we did this at the end of the season, running back is going to look worse because Henry will fall out of the top 10. And I'm guessing that Elliot will as well. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking that that running back will look more, will more so resemble wide receiver. I don't know if you can sure. call them. They'll fall as far as busts though. Right. Uh, go to, if you want to go to wide receiver. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I have a good idea of the first three. Uh, those being Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson. Are those three yeah, right? Yeah, all three. Yes. 
Okay, so my fourth one, I'm between two players, and I might be wrong about both, but this is more about draft position. And I'm not looking at anything. I'm not looking at how many, you know, the top ranking wide receivers right now. I'm just going off the top of the dome how I, you know, recall them performing to this point in the year and also recalling where they're drafted. I'm between two guys, and I can't remember if either of them would have been drafted in the top 10 wide receivers, but I'm between Chris Godwin and Cooper Cup. I would think that Chris Godwin got drafted before Cup, so I'm going to go with Chris Godwin. Uh, it's not. The last one is Diggs. Stephon Diggs. I thought about him, but then I thought he's been hovering around like somewhere between wide receiver 10 and wide receiver 15, at least through most of the season where trading was active because he was a player that I kind of checked his profile out often since he struggled. Yeah, he, in the early he was part at the, the very year. back end of the – he was definitely the very back end of – uh, the top 10, but he was still in there. Yeah. Okay. So I think Hill, Adams, and Diggs were the consensus top three wide receivers, you know, in, in most mocks and in most drafts everywhere. Yeah. I, I, I so, have the order if you want me to read it off. Sure. Like it, Adams, Diggs, and Hill were the top three. Fourth was Metcalf, mm-hmm. it was Jefferson. And then it was Hopkins, Ridley, Allen, Brown, McLaurin. Man. So that. Probably eleven to fifteen would would be pretty good. I would imagine both Godwin and Cup and maybe even Mike Evans would be somewhere in there. Well, you also got to remember that it was also Robert Woods and Allen Robinson. Ah, okay, so maybe it's a mixed bag. Yeah, it's, wide receiver was a mixed bag. I think wide receiver is one of those positions. Like I didn't ever, I never really thought of it as like there's a lot of busts, but I certainly looked at it on the flip side and thought that's a position where there's always a ton of profit to be had. It feels like there's a huge breakout wide receiver every single year. Um, last yeah, year, Stephon Diggs. This year, Cooper Cup. I guess last year, even Justin Jefferson is a rookie. This year, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle. There's so much profit to be had at wide receiver, and I don't feel like you get that at other at the other positions, quarterback, running back, or tight end. Um, not nearly to the yeah, same it's def- extent. Yeah, it's definitely tougher to find at those other positions. Yeah, good stuff, Jake. That was a cool thought to bring. My biggest takeaway from the regular season and this is strictly taking a look at our six playoff teams this year, there is no single blueprint for success. So among the six of us, you have the traders, you have me, Nick, and Mike. You have the anti-traders, Kevin and JC. You have the QB truthers, I would say probably me and Scott. You have the zero QB guys, Kevin, JC, and even Nick to an extent since he dished away his second quarterback late in the season without even really having a backup plan to fill it. Uh, You have the workhorse running back room advocates, Scott, Kevin, JC, and me. You have the zero running back guy, currently Nick. You have two league champions who drafted QB late um, in the seasons that they won, me and Nick. You have one league champion who hammered QB early. That was Damon last year. You have two league champions who are pretty trade happy, me and Nick. You have one league champion that seldom trades in Damon Simply put, I've learned that there are many ways to get it done so long as you remain adaptable. And remaining adaptable can definitely look different for everyone, whether it's trading guys at the right time, dropping guys at the right time, addressing needs at the right time, using leverage at the right time, looking for draft day discounts and market inefficiencies at the right value, etc. You can find success in this league if you bring your A game. And I think it's safe to say that for the majority of those who play in this league, this is This is kind of their premier league, the gold standard, i.e. like, you know, the most important league I'm in, quote unquote. 
if you treat it that way year in and year out and not only grind through it all uh, or grind through all the different methods that I just mentioned, but also pay attention to and kind of learn from those who are able to put it all together, I, I definitely believe that your time will come. Um, and even perfect example, Kyron was out early this year, but he obviously put something together late in the season to be the best team over the last month and a half of the season. So even for teams who are out of it, uh, I think that if you are able to put it together and really grind it out using a, you know, a, a variety of the different strategies that I just mentioned, I, I think that you can kind of get over the hump and take home a title in this league for as competitive as it is. Uh, Jake, anything to add before we move on to the official playoff bracket? No, I, I, I definitely one of the things that I like about two quarterbacks is it just expands the ways that you can build your roster. Plenty uh, of ways to skin a cat, right? Yeah, that's that's definitely something I, I like. I this is my favorite league just because of the, the competitiveness, and I also I'm a I'm a huge fan of the two quarterbacks. Yeah, that brings us to our official playoff bracket. So, on one side of the bracket, you have Scott. The Thundercats, who finished with a 21 and 7 record, he is the number one seed, the only team to finish with 21, or I should say, even above 20 wins. He was four wins ahead of the next highest seed, which was my team. So Scott, of course, gets a week 15 by round one by, and then also on his side of the bracket is the four seed Kevin Randy Marsh, who finished with a 16 and 12 record. He is playing JC, the fifth seed Scooby and the Gang, who finished with a 15 and 13 record. On the other side of the bracket, I'm the two seed, Otis and the Bell Cows. I finished with a 17 and 11 record. Um, I have a round one bye, barely edging Nick out by, I think it was less than 30 points for. He had the same record as me, Auto Rocket, 17 and 11. He is the three seed, and he gets Mike in the first round, God of the Super Saiyans, who finished 500, 14 and 14. So that is your playoff bracket. Jake. Looking ahead to week 15, which I mistakenly wrote as week 14 here on our itinerary, which of the two matchups do you expect to be closer this week between Kevin and JC and Mike and Nick? Uh, maybe it's a bad thing that I agree with ESPN's projections, but uh, the closer matchup's probably going to be Kevin versus JC. Uh, that one has a 1.6 point projected spread, and I do agree that it will be very close. Uh, honestly, like the matchup could be decided as soon as Thursday. Uh, JC has Kelsey, Kevin has Hill. Kevin also has multiple other players in that game, Clyde and Keenan Allen. But uh, really, the biggest matchup I think head to head for them is going to be Kelsey and Hill, who will be Mahomes' top target. Uh, just for reference, last time they played the Chargers, Kelsey finished with 17.4 points, while Hill finished only with 9.7. But as we know, that could change. I don't know if the Chargers employed that. Uh, the dreaded too high safety look that has seemingly destroyed the Chiefs offense and uh, maybe I guess the Bills offense to an extent too. But uh, I do think this will be very close. Both teams have warts. Uh, neither team's QB rooms real good. Um, JC could get Waller and Gaskin back. Um, that would be pretty big for him because I'm not at all. I'm, his, his flex room right now uh, is a little bit scary. If we're looking at it, he has, uh, I think, Zay Jones and um, Kenny Galladay. Yeah, Kenny Galladay. And Kenny Galladay might have uh, Mike Lennon throwing ball to him, which is not what at all what you want to see in the playoffs. 
So hopefully he gets Gaskin back. Hopefully he gets, um, I know if Gaskin comes back, there's a chance that he could be basically the only running back there. Um, I know Malcolm, I think Malcolm Brown is coming back as is going to be there as well, but uh, he's just coming off IR. So you'd like to think maybe he gets eased in. And of course they're also playing the jets. So that helps too. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do expect this to be a very close matchup. I think these two teams are very, very close together in terms of uh, talent. Yeah, this would be my pick for which matchup will be closer. Um, if you're JC, you are praying for Waller and Gaskin to come back because Kenny, even just looking at Kenny Galladay, who's obviously the better option over Zay Jones, at least in terms of name value, he has only been able to put up more than 10.5 points one single time this season despite playing in 10 games. So one out of 10 on scoring above 10 and a half points, which is very, very bad. Uh, he needs Waller and Gaskin to come back. And I think if Waller and Gaskin end up playing, that not only are these teams going to you know, put up a very similar amount of points, but I think that they're, you already mentioned their QB t- or their QB rooms are each kind of weak. I think like from top to bottom, these teams are built very similarly. So obviously you draw the line of similarity in their QB rooms, but they both have strong running back rooms uh, relative to the rest of the league, I should say, or, or the league at large. But really their you know, wide receiver through flex two spots when everyone is healthy is, is really scary and, and are among the best in the league. So on JC's side, you got Mike Evans, Tyler Lockett, who's not great, but he can still have very big boom games, as we all know, over the years. Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller were killer to open the season. I know Waller has been out a few games due to injury over the past month and a half. Kelsey has been kind of on the downslope. But those are still two guys that I feel very confident putting into my lineup from JC. Miles Gaskin's not too bad himself. And then on Kevin's side, you have Keenan Allen, Hollywood Brown, who has been a breakout himself that really we haven't talked about on this podcast a whole lot. But Hollywood Brown has been very good this season. He is a top 17 receiver when I don't even think he was on the radar as like even a flex one coming into draft day, maybe a flex two, but at one point he was a top five wide receiver. So Hollywood Brown's been having a great season. Mike Kosicki, similar to Kelsey, has been on the kind of a downward slope lately, but he was a top three tight end at one point. Obviously Tyreek Hill is always a threat. He's a top four wide receiver. And then Russell Gage is who Kevin is going with in his flex two spot this week. He has been on the upswing. We thought it was going to be Kyle Pitts kind of breaking out once Calvin Ridley came out and said that he's stepping away from football. Russell Gage has been getting the lion's share of targets in Atlanta, surprisingly. So I am excited to watch this one. I I don't really have a strong inkling as to who is going to win, but I think you're on the right track, Jake, by saying that Thursday should give us a good indication of you know who will have the upper hand going into the weekend. Which matchup uh, do we feel is more likely to see an upset? I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm going to go with the other matchup, which may come as a surprise, but I don't know. I just have this funny feeling, and I think I'll probably bring that up again later, but this funny feeling with how many upsets we've seen across our league over the past month, um, and in particular, it being the final month of the regular season, I'm just more open to the idea of 
Whereas in the past, I felt like we we identify one or two teams in the playoff bracket that were like, these guys are destined to get to the championship and they're going to steamroll everybody on their way there. I don't really feel that this year. I think that this is kind of anyone's game. And Mike put up a strong week last week, as did Nick. But uh, Mike's team is is not an easy out as the sixth seed. So if for nothing else, just intuition, I'm going with Mike versus Nick as the matchup more likely to see an upset. How about you, Jake? Uh, I didn't really feel like we could call either JC or Kevin winning. I didn't really think that we could call that an upset. Uh, just, I just thought the teams were too evenly matched. Like I wouldn't really think twice if uh, either one of them pulled off the win. So I, I will say Nick's team kind of reminds me of ironically Mike's team in baseball where he's really a huge boom, but like, I, I guess not really a huge boom bust team, but uh, I, I can look at Nick's team and see it absolutely going off, or I could see a number of things going wrong and, and really falling short. Like Allen's not healthy right now, but at the same time, Allen could absolutely pop any given week. But if Allen's out or is playing hurt, that also affects Diggs, who's also on uh, um, Nick's team. And of course, if Diggs, or if Allen goes off, there's a good chance that Diggs could be the benefactor of that. But uh, Antonio Gibson, he needs a positive game script to be any good for fantasy. And But really, I have no idea if that's going to be the case against Philadelphia or not. Don't have any clue. Uh, and it, it just really continues like Sanders isn't healthy, but at the same time, if he is, and he's the Eagles lead back, they're suddenly running a ton. And there's just numerous, numerous things down his lineup, up and down his lineup where I could see it going one way or the other, but it, it, it's, it's, it looks like it's a boom bust team to me right now where the highs will be, he can score with anyone, but the lows could be that he gets knocked out in the first round. Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, although I will say in, in Nick's team's defense that he has put up over 160 points each of the last four weeks. And if you go back five weeks, he put up 147.8, so close to 150. He hasn't really struggled since week nine where he failed to put up 120. I know what you're saying. I know the case that you're making based on the players in his lineup, and especially with Josh Allen. Um, and having a foot sprain as a mobile quarterback, that's a little scary. Uh, but again, if we're going on recent performance, Nick's team has been pretty steady. But again, that doesn't necessarily give you the vote of confidence if you're Nick, because you do have to still manage your team, and there are things that can pop up week to week as you navigate the playoffs. So that'll be something interesting to watch. Obviously, is the one seed, or sorry, not the one seed, the two seed, the team with the buy on my side of the bracket, I'm hoping that Mike wins because overall I do think that Nick has a stronger team. So I'm hoping for the upset there so that I get a softer matchup to lead into the championship round. But that's going to be a fun one to watch as well. Let's get into our playoff preview part two. So obviously we foreshadowed who we thought or who we thought might be in the playoff bracket last week. This week we know. And I decided to do a little fun segment called Playoff Superlatives. And basically, I am just wondering who you think fits the bill for each of these titles. We're going to start, Jake, with most important individual player in the entire playoff bracket. Who do you got for this? 
Uh, so I picked Travis Kelsey. Um, I think that this is, I don't think it's a real hot take to say that he's JC's most important player. Uh, when he's on, he can be an absolute cheat code to tight end, which is something that a lot of teams don't have. Uh, and I did dig into this a little bit farther. Um, it's not really as in-depth of an analysis of, as it might appear on the surface, but uh, I do think it kind of illustrates the point. Uh, so JC, to start, he he's averaged 139.6 points per game this season, which out of all of our playoff teams ranks last. Um, when But we can divide that kind of by his games based on how Travis Kelsey performs. Uh, when Kelsey scores at least 15 points, and I use 15 points because that's his average on the year, uh, JC averages 148.5 points per game, which is fourth among playoff teams, but it is fewer than three points per game less than Nick for second for and uh, six less than Nate for um, second. When Kelsey scores under 15 points, JC's average goes down to 130.6 points per game. Um, really, it should be obvious that this is the case because Jason Kelsey is in JC's lineup every week. And if he scores worse, his average is going to be worse just, you know, because duh. But I think that this just illustrates that JC's biggest advantage over his playoff competition would be that he has, he might have the best tight end in the entire league who can put up wide receiver one numbers on his roster. And that is a huge deal because even if the rest of his roster is, slightly worse than somebody else's the big gap at tight end could make up for it and maybe make up even more to put him ahead so that's, that's why i think that travis kelsey is probably the most important player to a single team in in this playoff bracket because of the the advantage that he provides and the fact that he can really elevate a roster that might not be as talented as another team's top to bottom that is a good pick uh, for sure. I did not necessarily look at team context. I just kind of looked at the value of the individual player for my pick, who was Jonathan Taylor. Uh, so I was just kind of going back, and obviously I can recall my own team's performance pretty easily, so maybe this led to a biased pick. But I have not put up even 150 points any of the last four weeks. And if you go back seven weeks, I've only done it twice in the past seven weeks. Now, granted, I think the, the struggles of my team lately have been due to things like both Cooper Cup and Jonathan Taylor being out on bye two of the last three weeks. Obviously, I was going in and out of flux with starting quarterbacks, with bringing in Aaron Rodgers during his bye week, things of that nature. But Jonathan Taylor has been... You know, if Cooper Cup didn't exist this year, he would be he would be the best player in fantasy football. Uh, and Cup is nearly as important, but I would say, given the position, uh, and maybe this doesn't make I guess as much sense after you sharing earlier that wide receiver is even more scarce in terms of you know hits and busts for draft day. But given the position and the fact that I don't really have any other absolute studs at said position of running back on my team. I think that my season is going to live and die with Jonathan Taylor. So hopefully he's able to keep it up. That's my pick. Jake, let's go to manager that you are most surprised to see here in the playoffs. Who is your pick? I picked Mike because Mike has been one loss away from getting his team locked for like seemingly the entire year. 
That's yeah. all that I have. <laughs> no, that's that's a good pick. I'm glad that we haven't agreed yet. Uh, it makes for some I, I used all content. my time on that JC analysis. So I had to do a quick one here. Sure. Uh, my <laughs> pick was Kevin. I can't speak to any kind of track record since Kevin is obviously new to the league. But the combination of being the only new manager, plus taking the less than popular zero QB strategy in our draft, plus only making one trade on the season, and that trade being a bi-week kicker for a borderline flex piece, uh, those things all leave me surprised that he was able to battle his way into not just a playoff spot, but a top four seed. So kudos to Kevin. Next one is Dark Horse Title Contender. I'll lead us off and say that I think it's Nick, Auto Rocket. So Nick's team is very strong in the hands of Josh Allen, Justin Jefferson. Deontay Johnson has been a lot better than I thought uh, when I was checking Nick's team out. Stephon Diggs and even Taysom Hill, as long as he remains the starter, in my opinion, I think Taysom Hill is going to be very good for Nick for fantasy purposes. If you were giving me odds in proportion to who has the best chance at winning a title and kind of prescribe those odds by seed, meaning that you know, hitting on a Scott bet would pay out lower than hitting on a Nate bet, which would pay out lower than hitting on a Nick bet, and so on and so forth. I would easily bet on Nick. I think that he would be the best balance of risk and reward, given that he's not necessarily the favorite of the bracket, and he does have a tougher road to the title, given that he's playing in round one. But I think that he has nearly as strong of a team when everyone is healthy and there are no limitations as those of us, me and Scott, who do have it good and don't have to play in round one. Jake, who is your dark horse title contender? Yeah, it was only a matter of time before we had the same answer. I also picked Nick, and it's kind of for the same reason that I said earlier. Like He just he does have the ability to boom with the best teams. Uh, and like Mike's team in baseball this past year, which made a championship run, I guess I should say made it to the championship Uh all it takes is for him to string together a couple of weeks where he's where everything booms and he's able to knock out better te- teams that might be better than him on paper. And uh, on paper, it might not even be that much because like, like you said, his team is very talented. I love the Taysom Hill ad like Taysom Hill, I think, has kind of taken over for uh, Jalen Hurts as the bad real life QB who is good for fantasy. Uh, he probably has taken the crown there. Um, to, maybe that's just because he, I think he's a worse quarterback, real life quarterback than Jalen Hurts and arguably just as good fantasy wise. But, uh, yeah, I, I think not to, not to go too long here cause you already discussed it, but yeah, I, I'm going to go with Nick here for this, basically the same reasons you, you said before. Sure. And keeping with the theme, the next superlative is give me one headline that you were predicting for our playoffs. I'm going to go ahead and take it here because it's in line with what we were just talking about. My headline is Nate's team flounders and takes a round two exit to Nick. So my team I already shared has been performing terribly over the past few weeks. Again, Cooper cup and Jonathan Taylor have been out on by as I guess, same with Aaron Rodgers since I traded for him and then he was on by But I just kind of, as I shared earlier, get this ominous feeling about all the upsets that we've seen lately. And I think Nick's team is going to be probably, I know this is contrarian to what you've been saying with his team, but I think he's going to be the most consistent scorer, at least for these next three weeks. So that's my headline. Nate's team is going to struggle and uh, not even win a single playoff matchup this year. It's going to be a loss to my brother, Nick. 
what is your headline that you're predicting? I guess I should clarify. I guess I should clarify real quick. Like, I don't think that, I guess using boom bust for Nick was probably a, a poor way to describe it. I, I don't, I just look at his roster and I see a lot. Like, I know that he's been very consistent recently and that's not how I would describe it. I guess that's not, I would not call him a boom bust team. I guess I just look at his roster and I see for a, a lot of players in his starting lineup, ways that this could go wrong. And it's just sure. more up when I roster, it's just more, it's more glaring to me than I look at a, like maybe your roster or Scott's roster. Like I can't see the, the, the lower percentile outcomes in terms of points. Like I see that as being more likely with guys like Antonio Gibson. Now that Josh Allen is hurt, I think that that amplifies his bust potential. I, I guess I just, I see a lot of that in Nick's roster, but on the other side, like he has a lot, like you said, he has a lot of players that have really high ceilings. Mm-hmm. So I just, with his situation right now, there's a lot of players in starting lineup that have lower floors than you would like. And that, the, those lower floors, like I could see a path more easily that they that those lower floors are what hits than the ceilings. But I, I won't. My my headline is I, I have two of them. Okay. The first one is what I hope happens. I, Let's hear I it. Went, went like the new like newspaper headlines. Okay. Four point five point stat correction occurs. Penguins <laughs> makes playoffs after all. Penguins and Madagascar makes playoffs after all. I think the stat correction would be in by now, but hey, I don't want to kill your dreams. <laughs> that would be crazy. We yeah, did have like an eight-point stat correction in our baseball league this past year with Chris Paddock. Oh, that was nuts. I, and Eddie took, a, Eddie took a loss because of that. So imagine yeah, something that, happens here. Yeah, that'll be the reverse of what happened last year. But anyways, my second one, and this one's more real. COVID outbreak. Causes postponed game. Chaos ensues. I don't think that there will be a postponed game, but chaos will definitely ensue as the COVID outbreak is hitting at the wrong time. And there are, it has, I'm surprised that the playoff teams right now haven't been more impacted, but I do think this is something that's going to continue over the next couple of weeks. And players will be dropping without notice. And hopefully it doesn't screw anybody over. But I, Kind of think it will. Yeah, I certainly hope not. There's, I know the Rams shut down their facility, which we'll actually are going to touch on a little bit later in the episode, but not just the Rams. There's been a lot of uh, teams placed in enhanced COVID protocols by the NFL. So hopefully that dies down quickly and there's, there's no impact on our playoffs. The next superlative, our second to last superlative, is pick a non-playoff manager and make the case for why they will win the title next season. I'm going to go first, Jake, because I picked you. Uh, It may not be apparent to those of you listening that only have exposure to Jake through fantasy football, but this guy is a fantasy mastermind, and I think it's a matter of when and not if that he gets into the playoffs, and I think that if he's able to do it without being backed up against a wall, i.e. fighting for the sixth and final playoff spot, such as he's been doing these past couple years, I think that he will make the right moves to set himself up to be, you know, a strong in playoffs contender. So kept it short and sweet. Jake, you're my pick for non-playoff manager uh, who will win a title, or I should say making a case for why you would win a title next season. Who was your pick? You're forgetting one thing and that apparently in fantasy football, I live for drama. So I cannot <laughs> not be 
the last playoff seed. It just won't happen. Do you think you'll the the next time you get into the playoffs, it's going to be as a six seed? I'm coming in as a wild card for sure. Okay, okay. Give me uh, your pick for the non-playoff. I, manager. My pick was my pick was Damon. Uh, he's last year's champion. I know that he's a very savvy manager. Going back, I've played in a lot of fantasy football leagues with him, and uh, I I just know him to be a good manager. And I was, I mean, I don't have too much more to say. It's just looking at who's who was left out of the playoffs. That's who I feel most confident in. He's kind of like low key savvy. Like Damon is very particular about the moves that he makes. Like he is very much into certain players and not into others in a way that's like you and I, I think, and and probably even Nick, um, there's probably others too, but I'm just going off the people that I know pretty well and know well as fantasy managers. I think we're more kind of rooted in the numbers. Um, where we our decisions are kind of grounded in that, whereas Damon, I think it's more intuition than numbers and stats. So he's kind of particular in that way, but yes, he does have a track record of success. So that's that's a good pick as well. I agree with what you said that like there's definitely some players that I look at and they're and like I feel like I know that we all have like guys that we like, but I feel like there's definitely more Damon guys than there are like Jake guys. Sure. Yeah. The last superlative that we have, uh, of course, is the betting favorite to win it all. This has kind of been a theme for us on, or I should say over the last two years, because I know we've only done the podcast one season before this, but I feel like there's been a theme over the each of the past two to three years that it's almost like inevitable that one team is going to get to the championship. It's just a matter of, can they get over the hump and win that championship? Uh, so sticking with that theme, who is your betting favorite to win it all? Uh, hands down, it's Scott. Um, he, by far, in my opinion, if I could just gush over this for a second, uh, he possibly had the best draft out of anyone in any fantasy sport that I've ever played with, like this year. Like He came out of that draft, and his team looked like how I would want my team to look like going into the playoffs. Like, that's how he just drafted. He just drafted like that. Uh, and then he's only added to that uh, his quarterbacks. He's probably the best quarterback room in the entire league. Herbert has gone nuts again after that midseason swoon. He's got Murray back. Uh, I know he just lost just lost Hopkins, but Murray is fantastic on his own. Uh, the running back health is a, maybe going to be a little bit of a concern with Swift, but Mixon and Swift they are both fantastic. Both are top ten. Wide, re- or wide receivers are both top 10 running backs. He's got plenty of top 10 wide receivers. Probably he's got, but he, the wide receiver depth that he was able to get was incredible. And he even traded a few of those away. It, it's just, he had, and now he's got a tight end cheat code too with Mark Andrews. Like this is, this is about as perfect a roster as I remember seeing. There's no glaring holes in it whatsoever. And I, I I would bet on this team to win, for sure. It this just feels like this is Scott's year. I made the same pick, Jake, and I don't really have a whole lot to add. But I will say I respect Scott for sticking with his boy Young Hoku, who was the number <laughs> two kicker on the year last year, and the guy that Scott kind of rode all season as his kicker waiver wire pickup. Young Hoku is the number twenty kicker on the year, but he was drafted by Scott in the 13th round of our draft and he has not been dropped one time 
So Scott is sticking with his guy. Um, I hey, would say you don't know you don't know the locker room. Maybe he's like a big locker room leader. He's, he's probably the team together. He must be. I would say the only two things that I can see bringing Scott down at this point are injuries and a very very good, probably near career best day from you know an opponent team. I don't think any team is as bulletproof as his. Scott is also my betting favorite to win it all this year. And it's wild to me that he just had that good of a draft. Like that's just nuts. Yeah. Literally everything went well for him. Yeah. Like like you said, he's only been able to add to it. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. This, this is, this feels like it's Scott's year. Yeah. I'm just looking at his draft now. Um, Kyler Murray, Stephon Diggs, Terry McLaurin, Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift, Chris Godwin, TJ Hawkinson, Jamar Chase. His first eight picks, every single one of them were hits. You said Terry McLaurin was a bust, but he traded Terry McLaurin very early in the season and got Jalen Waddle and DK Metcalf. I know DK Metcalf was also a bust. Jalen Waddle obviously was not. So Scott hasn't really killed himself in any of the moves that he's made either. And after his first, you know, let's call it, I mean, it, by your definition earlier, Terry McLaurin was a bust, but I'm ignoring him because he traded him away. His first bust pick was Ryan Fitzpatrick in round nine, but then he comes back strong in round 10 and gets Debo Samuel. <laughs> Two rounds later in <laughs> round 12, he gets Mike Williams. So Scott had an unreal draft getting studs in 10 of his first 12 picks, which is just... He, he basically had like every single early season wide receiver breakout. Yeah. Because McLaurin was pretty good for the first, I want to say, month of the season. At the time that he traded McLaurin, I think he was doing pretty well. It was so good that Jamar Chase and Mike Mike Williams, while Mike Williams was popping off, were both on his bench like the first four weeks. He just couldn't find a spot for them. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, Scott's team was insane back then, is still insane. Uh, Our betting favorite to win it all. Our next segment is also sticking with the theme of playoffs. I called it, and I actually kind of stole this from, if you ever listen to the CBS Fantasy Sports Podcast, I've kind of stole this segment, Worryometer Wednesday. So I'm going to name a few players from playoff teams only. I actually chose one per team. And Jake, I want you to tell me how worried you are about their production during the entire playoff period. So not this upcoming week, week 15, but weeks 15 through 17 on a scale of 1 to 10, one being you're not sweating it, and 10 being that you are extremely worried about this player. First one is from my team, James Robinson, running back for the Jaguars. Where are you at? Worryometer, 1 to 10. Uh, this is an easy 8 for me, and it's not even necessarily his fault. It's just the Jaguars situation is such like a historic disaster. Uh, like, I, it's, I, I guess it's not really that I don't trust him. It's the team around him. It's his coach. Who is like, er, why is Urban Meyer putting his best offensive player in timeout for 20 plays at a time for a fumble? And it takes Trevor Lawrence going, like, going, huh, I wonder what's going wrong. Oh, yeah, I don't have my best player out here. Like, where is he? That's what it took to get him back in the game, like, for real. And then it, and then Urban goes and he's, I don't know, it's just a disaster there. Urban Meyer, he's, yeah, he's a winner. All right. Yeah, I'm in a similar spot. Uh, as you are with James Robinson, I have him at a seven on the worryometer. Um, didn't really provide much analysis because I thought 
Eddie was going to be on, provide some analysis too, and I was just kind of the host of this segment. But I'll still give you my ratings. I have James Rob James Robinson at a seven on the Warriometer. I guess what pushes it for me to too is Urban Meyer got a lot of heat for how he handled James Robinson. I believe it was two weeks ago, and that one's that that was when the first benching happened. So I I really would have thought this past week that he would have gone he would have really gone gone to him a lot just because he it's his best player and he needs to kind of silence the critics. He did not do that. James Robinson did not have that many touches this past week. No, all- he had like, I think the lowest total of the season, maybe. Let me yeah, look. It's almost like, it's almost like urban Meyer doubled down on his bad decision. Which- he, had the, he had the lowest amount of touches on the season, except for the week that he got hurt. He had six total touches this past week and scored yeah, less it, than yeah, one half like- of a fantasy point. It's like back what back earlier in the year when Miles Sanders was barely getting any work, and the uh, the Eagles fans were actually applauding whenever he would get a carry. Sirianni, the Eagles coach, the, he was like, "Okay, well maybe I should get." He like went the other direction. He said, "I'm going to give him all kinds of work." Urban Meyer just like doubled down on this terrible decision to not give him any work. He's like, "I'll show you. I'm not. I'm still not going to give him any work." What I'm hoping happens is that as the hot stove, or I should say the hot seat heats up for Urban Meyer's job, is that he does something to try to prove that he's competent and actually utilizes James Robinson, who, like you said, is the best player on the Jaguars. Um, Thankfully, I have a week to kind of let it simmer and figure out what's going on with James Robinson, but I would not be starting him with any kind of confidence. I would probably even be considering benching him this week if I was playing in round one. So yeah, I mean if I had him on my team and I actually made the playoffs, I would I'd definitely be sitting him this week. Like there's there's nothing that would tell me that would give me any confidence that Urban Meyer is not going to triple down on his bad decision and not play. He just like he just loves Carlos Hyde for some reason is what I'm he Carlos Hyde used to play for him at Ohio State. Yeah, that like I am convinced that he doesn't that he thinks that Carlos Hyde is just as good. He probably does. I will tell you this: I am in the playoffs in another league where I'm playing in the first round, and I have James Robinson, and I am starting him over. You tell me. You give me some advice live on this episode, Jake. I'm starting him okay. currently over Jerry Judy, Dawson Knox, Christian Kirk, Sterling Shepard, Russell Gage. And Mike Davis. Are you starting any of those guys over James Robinson this week? Maybe Russell Gage. Maybe Russell Gage. That's my I, thought. I think that there there would be a you know what? I'm gonna I am gonna be bold here. I would start Russell Gage over him. I think I might make the switch just because just because I don't want to die on my own sword. Yeah, it's just like I said, I just don't have the confidence in that Jaguars coaching staff to give James Robinson enough touches for him to really matter. Problem is that the allure is so high. He's playing the Houston Texans for the twenty seventh yeah, issue with him too. Is there, like even beyond just this week, he has a good he has a good schedule. Yeah, he's playing the Jets next week. But that's like all I can like the, the problem is like the, the the Texans are so bad that usually, you know, like teams are running on them a lot, but like the Jaguars are worse. The other problem is that James Robinson hasn't really been good in over a month. Like he hasn't scored over 12 and a half points since week 10. And then before that, since week six, like he was, he started the season 
over the first six weeks doing really well, and ever since then has just kind of been very disappointing. I think you yeah. convinced me. I'm going to start Russell Gage over him, at least for this yes. first week. Hopefully, I advance. Yeah, it's almost like uh, Urban Meyer doesn't possess, or like the Jaguars organization just like doesn't have the ability to look back at previous games to know that that's what works. <laughs> right. I don't know. It, that situation is just so frustrating. I, I'm I like Trevor Lawrence, so I I'm frustrated with. I, I feel like they're ruining him, and I guess I'm, I'm very frustrated with the Jaguars organization. Sure. Well, hopefully we don't spend that much time on our second player for the worryometer it is from scott's team deandre swift running back for the detroit lions where do you have him on the worryometer uh this will be really quick it's a two if he uh if he plays i'll say it's a five because there was speculation that he might get put on ir but i think that dan campbell said that he's good to go this week I actually have, and I maybe there was news that came out today that I missed about Dan Campbell saying that he would play this week. Uh, he said he doesn't expect him to practice today. That came out today. Yeah, I'm not necessarily seeing anything about the game, but I had DeAndre Swift at an eight. Uh, DeAndre Swift is super talented, but he has an AC joint sprain, which is in your shoulder for those of you who you know, never took anatomy or whatever. That's important for a running back. That lowers his shoulder, a pass catching running back like DeAndre Swift, who needs to get his hands up over his shoulders. You can't do that with an AC joint sprain, depending on how bad it is, which I would imagine it's relatively serious given that he's missed two games already. So I have him in a similar spot to James Robinson. Uh, I have him as an eight on my worryometer. Well, there's a really simple fix for DeAndre Swift, he just needs to get a hold of whatever device Dalvin Cook used for his shoulder injury that he used on Thursday. Well, apparently Dalvin Cook has been playing with a torn labrum in, I guess, his left shoulder, I think, for like the entire season. He just like happened to hurt his other shoulder. So I guess he just leans with one shoulder now. I have no idea, but there was whatever they said that Dalvin Cook was at some device, they just called it a device that he was using on Thursday for his for his shoulder injury. I'm convinced maybe it's like a bionic, like a Winter Soldier arm. Yeah, Winter Soldier. That's exactly what I was thinking about. He has a. But I'm not. I'm not positive. Vibranium really shoulder. Much evidence. Yeah, I don't have much evidence to back that up. Besides the fact that he rushed for like 205 yards, but. Speaking it's, of, it's are you going to see Spider Man this weekend? I am. I might be going tomorrow. I am going to be going on Friday. Me and Mike are going together. So. Looking forward to that. Very stoked. Shout out to our Marvel fans in the league. Our third player on the Worryometer. This is kind of a lower profile. These next two guys are lower profile than the first two. But this guy's from Nick's team, Jerry Judy, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. I'll lead us off and keep it short by saying I'm a nine on Jerry Judy. I just don't trust really anybody in the Broncos offense except Javante Williams when Melvin Gordon is inactive. Where are you at with Jerry Judy? I also have a nine. Um, he's arguably not even a flex at this point for me. Uh, his return really has not gone as planned. Kind of instead of just ruining Cortland Sutton like he was supposed to do, he sort of ruined everybody, including himself. And uh, the Broncos just don't really have a quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater to take advantage of the matchups where they'd be playing from behind. Um, and they just, when they're ahead, they just go so run heavy. But it's, there's just not enough volume to go around. And the quarterback's not as talent, not talented enough to uh, really take advantage of that 
uh, low volume for Judy to really be anything more than kind of a flex on his best day. Very large if, but if the Broncos are able to bring in Aaron Rodgers over the offseason, I think that Jerry Judy turns into the 2019 version of Stephon Diggs. I think that he would be next year's big breakout wide receiver. I love Jerry Judy. He's just not good I, for fantasy right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I just like it's just the offense he's in right now and the quarterback. Yeah. It's a situational thing. I don't really doubt the talent. The next guy is from Kevin's team, Carson Wentz, quarterback for the Colts. I'm a five on him, mostly because I don't think the expectations were ever super high. So even in his recent struggles, uh, I'm not sure that he is too far off the mark from expectations. Where are you at with Carson Wentz? Uh, I have a two because, like, who else are you going to start? Ben Roethlisberger? Like, for real? Who else is there at this point? Like, I just don't – and like you said, the expectations are – like Mike, Mike is going to have to drop one of Fields or Tannehill. That could be an option, but I, I, guess. I, don't, I don't want I don't want to give the answer away to Mike. But Tannehill has been playing very mediocre this year. He's no better than Carson Wentz. Yeah, like it's just like like the potential replacements are all guys who are just as good or like worse than Carson Wentz. They're all in the same tier. The so next I'm, guy, sorry, well, go ahead. So. I was just going to close and say I was, I'm not concerned about Wentz really at all. Like he's right in line with expectations. Got it. Uh, the next guy was your pick for most important player in the playoffs, Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously longtime top tight end. I had a five initially for him, but I'm going to lower it and say I'm only on a three for Travis Kelsey. I'm not not very worried about him, even though he's been struggling lately. Where are you at with Kelsey? Uh, numbers are still are a little bit down, but I have a two because he's still a top three tight end for me. Like maybe like at this point, I guess if I'm picking, I probably pick George Kittle ahead of him just because he's been going uh, Superman lately with for tight ends, and I guess Mark Andrews maybe. But at the end of the day, Kelsey is still a top three tight end. He's one of only a few, very very few tight ends who has the ability to be that cheat code. And even on his worst days, he's just still an average tight end. Like you're not, it doesn't, I think his bust potential is just what other people might be getting from tight end anyways. Yep. And our last guy is from Mike's team, Ezekiel Elliott running back for the Cowboys. Where are you at with Zeke? I have Zeke at an eight. Uh, He looks broken. Um, He's limping around. Uh, it's always a bad sign when you're splitting touches with Corey Clement. Uh, the good, the, the upside, I guess, is he still has the goal line role. So if like Tony Pollard makes like, like a, on Thanksgiving when Tony Pollard made it the entire way down the field and Zeke came in and vultured the touchdown, that's still a very real thing. He is the goal line back. And I don't think he's going to uh, really relinquish that role anytime soon. But at the end of the day, like he does not look like he's healthy. And I know that people have said that he's not. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know why. Like, it seems like almost they're trying to protect his feelings for whatever reason. Like, McCarthy comes out and says, oh, no, he only split with Clement because I was being conservative with him. And then there was that weird, like, huge load comment from uh, Jerry Jones, and that didn't end up happening either. Like, you can't you can't trust what the Cowboys have to say about him, basically. And I just, if he's splitting touches and looks terrible doing it, like it's 
touchdown or bust for him. Yeah, I've never been a Zeke guy. I echo everything that you said. I have him at a seven on the worryometer. So that was your worryometer Wednesday segment. It's going to be released on Thursday, but we're recording on Wednesday. So let's finally get to the around the league portion of the podcast. Eddie is not on this week, but he did still send his fantasy over-unders. Jake and I will quickly give you our picks for these. First one is Najee Harris versus the Tennessee Titans. Eddie set the line at 18. I'm going to go with the over here. Jake, where are you at on this line? Uh. I, I'll go with the over. Actually, well, yeah, I'm gonna, line. I'm gonna go. Yeah, it's a good line. It, it's always good when it makes you like think about it. And you right. To, when you kind of do like a double take, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the over. I think just, I, I think he'll catch enough passes. I guess it's it's a really good line though. Like I, I definitely think he'll be within two or three points either way. Sure. The- yeah, he'll get he'll get the volume. That's why I think he'll go over. These next two were not as hard to decide on for me. Uh, Melvin Gordon versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Eddie set the line at 14. I'm an under on this one. Yeah, I, I'm i also going to go with the with the under here. Uh, Gordon's been playing really well, but uh, I, it's Melvin So is Javante Williams, but yeah, I, know that's that, the I know that he Javante might be Williams out this week. Well. I guess it depends is- on if Javante Williams plays. What happened to Javante Williams? I didn't even see this. He has a knee injury. I think it's a right knee. He did not practice today. Or he was limited, one of those two. But there was yeah, some question that. with respect to his health. doesn't really matter, I guess, in terms of Javante Williams himself because he's on Lucas's team, who is out. But obviously, Melvin Gordon is still very much on a playoff team. Let's see. Yeah, he was a limited participant today. But so yeah, is I guess Melvin it Gordon. It doesn't help too that the Broncos running backs are really game script dependent. And uh, I guess I don't see them. They're playing Cincinnati and I think Cincinnati is going to win the game. So I guess I think that Denver is going to be trailing, which means that they don't really run the ball that much. Like, I just don't think that, I mean, they still do, but the fact that they have two running backs that basically split the touches 50, 50, that doesn't really leave a lot of work for either one when they're behind. Sure. The last fantasy over-under is Jimmy Garoppolo versus the Atlanta Falcons. Eddie set the line at 22. Jake, where are you at on this one? Oh, this one's free money. You just gotta, you just take the under here. Yeah, this is like a boosted odds. Like You get a free bet on FanDuel. I'm easily taking the under here. Jimmy G has only put up over 22 one time this season, and it was a long time ago. So pretty the easy. Only way, the only way that Jimmy G is going to put up that many points is if he has to throw like 40 passes and he rushes for a touchdown and that's not happening and not against the Atlanta Falcons. No, no shot. News and notes to close out the episode. Odell Beckham jr. Tested positive for COVID and is in danger of missing this week's game against Seattle. The Rams have also shut down their facilities in the meantime, but due to COVID protocols, I remember a while back, Odell was asked if he was worried about getting COVID, and he said, no, I'm not worried. There's a mutual respect there. So I guess COVID does not respect Odell Beckham Jr., even though Odell Beckham Jr. allegedly respects COVID. I forgot about that. That's what a, what a bizarre thing to say. Yeah, interesting. But given that Mike also rosters Van Jefferson, does this news even hurt his team, in your opinion? 
Uh, I think it does just because, um, you know, Dell's a little better than Jefferson, but not, not by much. The, the script has definitely flipped on Odell. I had zero hope for him to be fantasy relevant, even after he got signed with the Rams. Um, but he's... Yeah, I, I think it's actually... I, I will say, if Robert Woods was still there, I think that this would be a totally different story because sure. to me, like, Odell has kind of taken over the Robert Woods role. And if obviously if Robert Woods was still there, that wouldn't be the case. I think he'd be more in the Van Jefferson role. But uh, yeah. it looks like Jefferson got the Van Jefferson role back. So everything's fine now. But yeah, it's I I don't think he's like I'm not gonna say that Odell is back to being what we thought Odell was, but he's definitely not useless. Are there do you have any concerns about the Rams players not getting as much practice this week since their facilities are closed? Uh I'm gonna be honest, I don't really know enough about this to really say. I guess maybe that they I guess that if they're not practicing, that's probably that's probably a problem. Because I, I I would imagine that that cuts into their preparation time for the other team. So, yeah, I mean, uh, to to be honest, the really really the only implication for our league in particular is Mike's team, Odell and Van Jefferson, because Cooper Cup's on my team. Robert Woods is out for the year. Both Daryl Henderson Jr. and Sony Michelle are on Sean's team, who is out. Matt Stafford is on your team, who is out. So. It's really just Mike's team. So I guess the question, even though I asked Rams players, it's probably, I guess, geared more toward Mike's team. Like, do you worry about Van Jefferson as a second-year player missing practice throughout the week because of this? But we've already touched I guess, on like, him, it's so. not. I guess it's, like, not too bad because, like, I just don't think they're going to forget to play how to play football. Like, sure. <laughs> it does seem like it has the potential to be a trap game for the Rams, though, like coming off of that emotional win over the Cardinals. Yeah. Second piece. Sorry, go ahead, Jake. I was just gonna say maybe that's too many. Uh, maybe that's maybe I'm watching too much of the Steelers though with the Mike Tomlin trap games. Yeah, that's a tradition. It's a yearly tradition for the Steelers. The second piece of news we've already mentioned it earlier, but head coach Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills said that Josh Allen has a foot sprain in his day to day. After rushing for over 100 yards in last week's game against the Bucks, does this news lower your expectations of Allen, who is the QB1 on the season? Or not just this week, but for the entire playoff period, Jake? I guess this would have to, because I would imagine that it impacts his rushing ability, and that's kind of a huge part of his appeal. Uh, I think that they're just asked, like, honestly, I think that he's so, he's so good, but I think they're just asking him to do too much. Like, I, it's it's a lot on you to be asked to carry not only the passing game, but the running game as well. Like I know I've always kind of been a proponent of running backs don't matter, but for the Bills situation, they may need to invest in like a half decent running back. Cause that that's just, I think that's just way too much to ask of Josh Allen to carry both the running game and the passing game. Yeah. Devin Singletary has been playing decent over the past few weeks, but they definitely need, to, or not even the past few weeks. He, he had a decent game this past week, and really it was because he was catching a lot of passes. He had six catches for 37 yards. Yeah, Josh Allen has definitely carried the Bills on the ground as well as obviously through the air. So agree with what it you said there. It just doesn't seem like they trust any of their running backs. Like they don't trust Burita. They don't seem like they trust Burita. Moss has been inactive like every other game, and they've never really been willing to roll with Singletary. So I think the, the, the reason that he's asked to do so much is – 
like, I guess that they, maybe they'd be capable if they were given a chance, but it just doesn't seem like they want to give either, any of those three running backs a shot to be even reliable every week. Sure. Yeah. Hopefully for Josh Allen's sake, they do get a decent running back. Um, that brings me to another piece of news on a running back. Michael Carter is expected to return for this week's game against the Dolphins. Do you expect the breakout to continue for Michael Carter or will the injury setback that he experienced tack on too much rust for him to be a fantasy difference maker in the playoffs? This is a guy that you had on your team at one point this season, Jake. Yeah, by rust, I assume you mean uh, like Zach Wilson. Because I think that, that he's going to be the one that kind of... Missing games, but also, yes, Zach Wilson is back, <laughs> which is not good for Michael Carter's fantasy relevance but yeah what, this what is also not a, this is also not a great week for him to continue a breakout like he's coming off an injury and um the dolphins are suddenly not such a great matchup for running backs uh their defense has sort of gotten it together but i i guess like common sense would kind of tell you that at this point with with elijah more more not being healthy now it would seem to me that michael carter is the best weapon on that offense and you would think you would want to get him a lot of touches, but uh, it's the Jets, so I don't know. Okay, that brings us to not even news or notes, but let's let's just give quick hitting predictions here. Week fifteen, round one of the playoffs. We got Nick versus Mike and Kevin versus JC. Jake, no analysis, just give me your gut feeling. Who do you have in the matchup between Nick and Mike? I'm gonna go with Nick. I'm going to go contrarian here, even though I mentioned a headline earlier that Nick is going to beat me in round two. I'm just going to go off the cuff and pick Mike to win this matchup. And then in this our second the, matchup... This is the Mike revenge game. For this baseball. is the Mike revenge game, yes. Nick knocked him out of the playoffs. Or I should say, out of a playoff matchup back when we were playing baseball. And out of the championship, right? Yeah, that was our championship matchup. Yeah, Nick ended up winning, so... Mike's revenge game is here. He got his revenge on Eddie. It's time to get his revenge on Nick. And then the other matchup, Kevin versus JC. I'm going to say JC wins this one. Who do you got? I'm going to go with JC too. I, like I said, I think Kelsey is going to be an X factor. So I'm looking for the Kelsey rebound. There you have it. Jake, this is probably going to be your last time on the football podcast until next season. Anything to share with the people, any more lamenting that you need to get off your chest? I did get it out. I got it all out of the way earlier. I feel much better now that everybody knows my deep hatred for almost every player that was on my team this year. Well, there you have it. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this 15th episode of the 2021 season, the 26th episode overall of this Best Player Wins Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, We will be back with you next week. Hopefully we have another guest on, somebody that's presumably still alive in the playoffs, but we obviously have fun bringing guests on. Thanks to Jake for filling in for Eddie this week. Um, And yeah, we will catch you on episode 27. Here.